Hello everyone, Toki here to come with Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Happy New Year. Coming up... It was only in the morning we, we realized there was a tsunami and there were deaths. One year on from a devastating volcanic eruption in Tonga, people in the kingdom are still coming to terms with its impacts. Also... We're inspired as we reflect on the journey of our ancestors in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Pacific communities welcome the appointment of Aotearoa's first Deputy Prime Minister of Pacifica Descent. And later on... We'll end up with nine of the South Pacific nations and we're also talking about including a, an indigenous Maori team from New Zealand and an indigenous Aboriginal team from Australia. We check out the Pacific's growing dance scene. It's now just over a year since Tonga was hit by the devastating eruption of the Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai volcano, but the kingdom is still grappling with the impacts of the disaster. Alongside the physical destruction, one of the major impacts has been on the health of Tongans. In this first instalment of a series of stories on Tonga, which we will be featuring this week on Pacific Waves, RNZ Pacific's Finau Funwa speaks with Tonga's health chief executive, Siale Akaula, to reflect on the eruption and discuss the ongoing impacts. Could you describe that fateful day the eruption occurred? How did Tonga's health services respond? After the uh, volcanic eruption, uh, uh, clearly, you know, it was, it was a phase for us, you know, in Tonga. Um, it was quite a uh, surprising experience. We had seen the volcano uh, a few weeks earlier. It was uh, slowly erupting, uh, smoke coming out. But when the, uh, the big uh, explosion happened on the afternoon of the 15th uh, last year, obviously it was a phase for all of us. So uh, most of us were running, <laughs> running to higher grounds and, uh, of course, um, it was really um, in the morning, you know, uh, when we uh, finally realized the extent of the, uh, the uh, volcano. Uh, during the night, of course, uh, with communication down, it was a complete blackout. Nobody really knew knew what was going on. It was only in the morning we, we realized there was a tsunami uh, and there were deaths. And there were certain areas in the country that were devastated, especially the Hapai uh, group of islands and Atata, which is uh, in, in one of the villages here in uh, Tongatapu. So um, uh, fortunately for the Ministry of Health, uh, we, we do have an uh, emergency uh, medical assistance team. Uh, we, we have been training that team uh, for a couple of years now in collaboration with the uh, Brecho uh, in preparation for hurricanes and natural disasters. So, uh, and that uh, initiative started when we had our first tsunami at New Toptapu in uh, 2009. So uh, when we had the state tsunami and of course in Samoa there was a big tsunami during that year the, there was collaboration between certain Pacific Islands and the Rachel to develop each country's uh, what they call emergency medical assistance teams. So that's how it all started. And I think for us, uh, thankfully, we mobilized it within 24, 48 hours. We had the team ready. They were on the boat 
they were uh, traveling to Hapai. It is, it is in, a, in a way, it's a relatively um, well-rehearsed uh, kind of activity in the, in the island, in Tonga, because we are so used to the hurricanes. So it's a similar kind of activity we mobilize every year, activate uh, all the key stakeholders, and we come together. So it's the same thing. I mean, for, for the Honga Tonga, Honga Hapai, we did the same thing. But uh, it's just that the uh, damages and the... Uh, the impacts on people were unprecedented. We were surprised. Uh, at the same time, we were also pleasantly surprised of the number of deaths. We expected more, but uh, I guess it's a miracle that only few, uh, unfortunately, few families lost their loved ones, but, but we expected more. One of the things that we often hear from health workers uh, are the psychological effects of the eruption, um, specifically children. We, we hear about children taking cover whenever they hear thunder. We hear from parents and uh, adults about how they suffer from stress and anxiety. Could you expand on this? Yes, I mean, I mean that's, that's an expected uh, impact on uh, children, but everybody in the community, even staff, the, the responders, we expect them to have a psychological uh, the impacts of these uh, sudden uh, massive disasters like this it will have on, uh, on people, uh, communities. And, uh, <clears throat> and during our, our initial uh, uh, assessment of the immediate damage assessment, it was recognized that there would be significant psychosocial uh, issues. So we do have a limited capability within Tonga. There are civil societies uh, groups uh, who are able to provide psychosocial support and uh, roll out a plan for, for how to manage them in short term, long term. But uh, we always, uh, we, we realize that we wouldn't have the capacity. So actually that's something we we called upon New Zealand uh, government support early on. We asked them for, for support and we, we, we asked around a few development partners to uh, help in that area because it's an area that uh, we, we were aware wouldn't have the uh, capacity to deal with. And uh, I'm not sure if you, if you are aware, but uh, the Pacifica Medical Association in New Zealand, they, were, they mobilized a team uh, in March we really appreciate the support provided the uh, Pacifica Medical Association team, uh, psychosocial support. They had uh, psychiatrists, they had psychologists. So it's quite a, a extensive support they have been provided. With the recent shock resignation of New Zealand's Prime Minister, a new-look Labour leadership is heading into this year's election, and it includes the country's first Deputy Prime Minister of Pacifica descent. Christina Persico reports. New Zealand's new Deputy Prime Minister came from a working-class family in Taranaki. Kamo Sepalone, the first Pacifica Deputy PM, is the MP for Kelston in West Auckland, a mother of two, and the middle daughter of three in her family. It is very hard to fathom that a working-class girl from Waitara who turned Westie, uh, that that person can become the Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand. 
The significance of her appointment is not lost on her. I want to acknowledge the significance of this for our Pacific community. Uh, I am proudly Samoan, Tongan and New Zealand European and represent generations of New Zealanders with mixed heritage. Incoming New Zealand PM Chris Hipkins appointed Miss Sepilone to the role on Sunday. She says her family is very proud. My father actually just got back from Samoa, and so I haven't had a chance to sit down with him. Uh, I didn't want to tell him while he was in Samoa because I didn't want to run the risk of him telling the whole village over there before he returned. Um, so my son picked him up from the airport and I told him over the phone. Uh, he's very proud. You know, he came here in 1964 from Samoa. He's Samoan, or his mother's Samoan, his dad is Tongan. And to think that he could come here to work on the railways and then the freezing works and marry a, a sheep farmer's daughter uh, and have a daughter who would become the Deputy Pri Prime Minister of New Zealand uh, is very difficult to comprehend. But as you can imagine, very proud. It is a milestone for Pacifica people, and one representative, Reverend Setaita Vaikune of the Methodist Church, says Pacifica people are celebrating the landmark achievement. We're inspired as we reflect on the journey of our ancestors in Aotearoa, New Zealand. You know, they took hold of opportunities, left the islands and journeyed into the unknown, if you like, in faith that the land of the long white cloud would give their children and grandchildren better lives and living. You know, our ancestors' courage, perseverance and resilience has, has, has been marked and rewarded, in my opinion, mm. um, in their descendants' success and reward. So we salute Carmel Sepuloni, and to God be the glory. The Reverend says Carmel Sepuloni is very strong in her quiet and humble way. She does more and is able to do more than what you see, than, than the normal um, capability of a sheepish, youngish, uh, brown woman. She, is, she, she brings strength, courage and determination you know, to, to do what is required. And, and I believe her, her humility especially is something that will take her forward greatly. Kamal Sepilone says her job is to support the PM as best as she can. She says she will continue to be focused on what she has always been focused on, serving our communities, Farnau and Aotearoa. Amnesty International is calling on the New Zealand government to speed up the resettlement process for refugees detained offshore by Australia. It follows the arrival of four people in New Zealand last week under an agreement to settle up to 150 people each year. Lydia Lewis has been covering the developments. Just under 100 people kept offshore in Nauru need permanent resettlement. Just six people were resettled last year and four so far this year. An Immigration New Zealand spokesperson says it currently has 90 applications to process. Interviews are underway for the remaining cases, but with less than a handful of the 150 slots available this year under the deal used, Australia refugee rights campaigner Zaki Haidari says the process is simply too slow. Lydia Lewis also spoke with Hamid, who is one of the refugees hoping to come to New Zealand. Hamid is from Iran and has been detained for almost a decade. He arrived on Christmas Island in July 26, 2013, with his eldest daughter and son. 
He left his wife and youngest daughter, who was only nine at the time, in Iran. He said his case had just been sent to INZ by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. While he awaits for New Zealand to decide on his future, his wife and youngest child remain in Iran, his son is in Australia and his eldest daughter is in the United States. Do you want to be resettled in Australia, in US? Where do you want to be resettled? I want to be in New Zealand. If you ask me if I have choice, I choose uh, New Zealand. I love New Zealand because New Zealand is a peaceful country and I'm looking for a peaceful life with my family. Because if I go to New Zealand, I can apply for them and I can meet them after 10 years. So long. Where is your wife and youngest daughter? Iran. My wife and daughter is in Iran. So what is your message to New Zealand immigration? Get me out from this island, not island, from this prison. You know, just give me my freedom. Just help me, my, help my family and I to join together. And this is my message to New Zealand immigration. Please help. Please help, please help. I need my freedom. I need my life. I need my family. Is the situation confusing for you? Yes. This situation here for me now is so hard on suffering because ten years I cannot stand anymore on this island, really, because we don't know about our uh, physically and mentally. The IHMS doesn't care. And actually, I had a lot of problems, my physical problem and mentally, but they never could help me. I always tried to help myself and always try to treat it myself because, you know, they, they cannot help us. They don't help us. Actually, they don't want to help us. And it's really a hard situation. I just try to be strong myself for my future, for my family. This situation is really hard for everyone. Darts is becoming quite a scene in the Pacific, with more and more countries joining the region's main tournament, the South Pacific Darts Championship. Postponed last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the latest edition of the tournament took place in Tonga last Wednesday. The Cook Islands won gold in the men's competition and Niue won gold in the women's. The next championship will happen in Fiji in two years' time. The central organisation for the sport in the region is the South Pacific Darts Association, which was formed five years ago in Vanuatu. The association has hosted world darts champions such as Phil the Powerhouse Taylor in 2018 and Jamie Jabba-Caven last month in Port Vila to play and coach the Vanuatu team. Jan Kohout spoke to the association's president, Stu McEwen, last week ahead of the championship in Tonga on what the future looks like for darts in the Pacific. This is the uh, the third South Pacific Darts Championship, which initially started in Vanuatu in 2018, and then in 2020 it was held in Niue. And uh, this year, uh, well, it was meant to be last January, but because of COVID, uh, it was postponed till January this year. And we've got Solomon's Vanuatu. Fiji, Cook Islands, Niue, and hosts Tonga all playing. 
Um, so it's a it's a round robin tournament until the semi finals and finals, um, where they play two triples, best nine oh one. They play three uh, six by singles, best of three five oh one, and then they play three doubles, best of three five oh one. So that it's eleven games. So whoever gets the six first, you know, wins that round. Cool. And so what qualifiers would you get from being in the finals and, and winning the competition? Is there any... Medals up for grabs, uh, but not prize money uh, as such, but it's just the, it's the South Pacific Darts um, Association, which we really only formed back five years ago. Um, but we've got uh, PNG, uh, couldn't make it to this one, nor Nauru, but... For, uh, we have an application from New Caledonia to join the association. So we'll, we'll end up with nine nine of the South Pacific nations. And we're also talking about including a, an indigenous Maori team from New Zealand and an indigenous Aboriginal team from Australia in the next one. And Vanuatu is probably a little bit ahead of the others because 2018 we had Phil, the powerhouse Taylor, come over and do the awards for the uh, and play several players live on stage at the prize giving. And then just uh, end of last year, we held the first Vanuatu Darts Expo on the Friday night, and then the Saturday night was the Vanuatu Open for prize money. And we had Jamie Jabba Caven all the way up from England. He was here for a week and gave our team um, two full days of elite coaching, which was fantastic. So... Uh, uh, pretty prepared. It was very difficult to get out of the country. You know, Vanuatu's borders were shut on the 21st of March uh, 2020. Nobody in, nobody out, and there wasn't a lot to do. National teams couldn't travel. No one could really travel, so people were looking for things to do, and we've, we ended up um, increasing our uh, a whole division, so that was eight teams. So. Eight extra teams in 2020 came in. Right. Plus, it's um, it comes down to the committee as well, like myself being an ex ex New Zealander. Um, you know, that promote and push, and we go through our website and we put it in the Daily Post, and um, and once we get our South Pacific Darts Association website and uh, Facebook page up and running, it'll, it'll be a lot easier for all the countries to access. You know, what's going on. That's Specific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and look at me for that next time more. <laughs>